Father, this morning we come to your throne room of grace. Come at this word in your hands. Anoint us. You take control. Whatever is of God, let it bear fruit in our lives. Let it find, Father, fertile soil. Let it be germinated. Let it be, let it be watered and let it bear fruit in our lives. And whatever is of the flesh and whatever is of man and whatever is of this world, let it fall to the ground. And let your name and your name alone be exalted, O Lord, through the ministration of the word. To that end, I pray that you would anoint each one of us. I humble myself, Father, and every one of us, we humble ourselves. Who is sufficient for these things, O Lord? But Lord, in you, by your grace, you made us able ministers of the word. O Father, grant us grace that we will be faithful to what we speak, what you have laid in our hearts. And we'll be faithful to obey what you have spoken into our lives. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Anoint us afresh this morning. The speaking and the hearing of this word in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah, we will continue to study on the cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that you will understand, right? Even as we study today, I just wanted to pay careful attention. This today is going to be more of a study. It's going to be teaching. It's not going to be more of preaching, but more of teaching. So ask God, even as Peter was praying for the spirit of attention and not of distraction. Yeah. And we studied about the cross last Sunday as well in some measure. And we only know in little measures. We don't know completely. We will never know completely. We will only know in the ages to come what the surpassing riches of his grace toward us is. And therefore this morning, we'll meditate upon a few things about the cross and what it has done for us and how we apply it in our own lives, the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to look at a few quotations from a book that I was reading by A.W. Tozer, a series of essays, compiled, edited essays by Tozer called The Radical Cross. And one of the quotations, I shared it with Pastor James as well and I want to share it with you as well. Even I was reading through, I was touched. The changed attitude toward the cross that we see in modern orthodoxy proves not that God has changed, not that Christ has eased up on his demand that we carry the cross. It means rather that current Christianity has moved away from the standards of the New Testament. Goes on to say, so far we have moved indeed that it may take nothing short of a new reformation to restore the cross to its right place. In the theology and the life of the church. We'll be celebrating Reformation. 501 years of Reformation in October. October 31st, 2018. Last year, 2017, we celebrated 500 years of Reformation. 501st year of Reformation. We'll continue to remember. We will continue to study on what the cross is all about. Yesterday I was listening to one preacher. No, I was preparing our first funeral in my life I've ever done. It's a different experience to conduct a funeral. And when I was just going through, how do I do it? No, I was looking at some YouTube videos and I was, I came across this man of God. His name is Woody Backham. I'm, I'm not sure if you heard of his name, Woody Backham. He was talking about a funeral service that was attended by a pastor and, and, and sometime back in some place in the United States where this teenager uh, met with an accident and he, and he died. 
And in his funeral, there were so many of his friends who were crying and weeping because they were heartbroken because this young guy just passed away. And in the church service, they played his favorite song. It was a heavy metal song, heavy metal music. They played it. And then his, one of his friends got up and he said, he said how great his friend is and how a fantastic man he was. And, they were, and when they heard the testimony of his best friend, they cried even more. And then his girlfriend got up and he, she wrote a poem for him. And after she read the poem, everybody started crying. And then again, after, after that, they showed a video of all this, this guy from right from his childhood waving the camera and all his, his 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 movements in his life and everybody started crying even more and then his father finally came and he started giving his eulogy and everybody started crying and weeping and crying and weeping and crying and after the end of the service everybody was saying what a wonderful funeral it was and then this pastor went to another church another place where another teenager girls, young girl, pastor, not a teenager, a young girl passed away. And the pastor said nothing about her life. Only these things. He said, this is the time when she got baptized. This is the time when she committed herself to the Lord. This is what she did to the kingdom of God. And during that time, they were speaking and singing hymns of the cross. They were singing and the pastor gave a fantastic sermon which encouraged people about Not about that girl primarily, but about Jesus. They exalted Jesus during that funeral service. At the end of the service, people were grieving. But you know what they said? They were strengthened at the end of the service. You see, you need to understand there are two kinds of people in this world. There are sentimental people. And I'll tell you honestly, the people who who get offended at the cross are not people who want to put Jesus on the cross because the Pharisees were so, so angry and envious of him and there was a crowd who was there who, who, who said, you know what, crucify him and they went to, such, to an extent, they said, let his blood be upon us and our children. Okay. You know something? They are not actually the enemies of the cross. Those are, those are not the people who get offended with the cross. People who get offended at the cross are sentimental people. Who think that the cross is a tragedy. One man of God was asked, I mean, Good Friday service. What, why, why do you call it Good Friday? It is nothing good about Good Friday. Jesus died. How can it be good? Poor man died. Where a good man died and you are calling it Good Friday, you should mourn. You should call it Bad Friday. You know, sentimental people. You know, one of the guys who was the most sentimental about the cross was close to Jesus. I'll tell you something. It is good people who are the most difficult to save. Good, righteous people who are the most difficult to save because they get offended at the cross the most. So this morning, I just want to look at a few examples. Look at this uh, guy very close to Jesus. And you know him as, anybody, any guesses? Very close to Jesus. And who was offended at the cross. Any guesses? Some, somebody said, how many of you think it's Judas? Oh, good. You have somebody, another guess. Well, let me see who, who this person is. This is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 onwards. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, there's a rock of revelation. What is the revelation? That you I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was telling Peter, I'm going to build my church upon this foundation of the revelation that I am the son of God. The Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the Christ. And upon this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he goes on to give another blessing. He says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You need to understand, this is what he's saying to Peter. Peter, I'm going to give you the power to overcome the powers of darkness. The authority and the power to overcome the powers of darkness. And you, like Elijah, can shut the keys, the, the heavens, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Peter was like, boy, this is amazing. But how was Jesus going to accomplish this? Any ideas? How was Jesus going to accomplish a total decisive victory over the powers of darkness? The next verse, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. How is he going to accomplish this? Through the cross. He's going to accomplish a total defeat over the powers of darkness. Think about it, no? Think about it. He's going to spoil the powers of darkness through weakness, not through strength. Not through displaying his power. He's going to do it through weakness. And we killed. And Peter got very sentimental. So, I, I was reading this part to my children. I said, Peter and them, and uh, Peter got very sentimental and emotional. And they don't know the vocabulary. What is sentimental? I told them, whenever you cry without a reason, you are sentimental. Oh, they got it. Okay. <laughs> How do I explain to the children, no? Especially girls, no? <laughs> and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke them, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. You see, it's good Peter who's offended at the cross. He does not understand that the powers of darkness will be given a decisive blow only through the cross. There's no other way. And what does he do? He begins to rebuke. Far be it from you, Lord. Oh, oh, sentimental. He's rebuking. (laughs) Can you imagine? Rebuking? Think what if Jesus said, okay, 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 okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jesus didn't say that. You know what he said? He understood the voice behind. And he said, but he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me tell you something, my dear brothers and sisters. It is a mindset. Mindset is a mindset of the cross. The mindset, the, the way of the cross is a state of mind. That is the reason why First Peter chapter 4 will say, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. Arm. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. 
And therefore he says, why did he come? Why did the son of man come, come for this purpose? Remember 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might, what? Destroy the works of the devil. You see, and how is he going to destroy the works of the devil? Through the cross. And how did he do it? Colossians chapter 2 will say, and you being dead in your trespass and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. And what did he do? He nailed it to the cross and then he disarmed principalities. And he triumphed over them. And he made them a public spectacle through the cross. You see, this is the wisdom of God. We don't even understand. That is the reason why it's offensive. Especially it is offensive to good people. And I want to see another set of good people, no? Good people who are very, very, very sentimental. There's a lot of sentimental. You see in the modern days music and songs. How many of our songs have the message of the cross behind them? All sentimental. Hold me close. Let your love surround me. Bring me near. Etc. 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 How can God hold you close? When you are his enemy? Unless something happened. There are a lot of sentimental people. No? Look at some of another set of sentimental people. And Unfortunately, this time, the, it's not a man, it's sort of women. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And as they led him away, they seized Simon, one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on, the, laid on him the cross to carry it with Jesus. And there followed him great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Oh, yo, Jesus. If I were you, Jesus, I would not have allowed this to happen to you. They don't even know what's going on over here. Think about it. If they would have come, somehow stopped him, what would happen to you and me? It's sentimental people. Oh, yo, 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 Jesus. Yo. And you know what Jesus says? <laughs> but turning to them, he said, daughters of Jerusalem, please do not be for me. But we for yourself and your, for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then it goes on to say, Then they will begin to say to the, mount, to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they did these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? In other words, he's saying, You see, I'm a righteous man. I'm absolutely holy. I'm absolutely just. I'm absolutely sinless. If this is what is happening to me, what will happen to you? You know, remember that verse in First Peter chapter 3? For it is time, for, if I'm right, it's chapter 4. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will happen to the sinner? You see, Andy's saying, don't get too sentimental over here. It is a parable. You, I know that I also believe that I am absolutely righteous. I am absolutely sinless. It is not because I didn't have power. I'm just allowing myself to do it. If they did this to a green tree, what will happen to you? So don't get too sentimental. So therefore you need to understand what is the purpose of the cross in our lives? 
1 John chapter 12 verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of the world. What is going to happen to him? He is going to be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. You see that? If I am lifted up. I am lifted up. See, what has happened over a period of time, you know, sometimes we have strange, we have very hazy things about the cross. Moses lifted up the bronze servant, serpent. And if you look at the bronze serpent, every one of you will be healed. Okay. Just like the way you, Moses uh, asked, uh, was lift, lifted up the bronze servant, I, I also will be lifted up. And if you see me and believe me, your sins will be forgiven you and you will be healed. That is the message of the cross. What happened over a period of time? You know, cross has become a kind of a ornament which is worn among around necks. Cross. Uh, dangling. It's kind of a fetish. I mean, I used to watch those horror movies those days when I was a kid. You know, in the horror movies, there will be one priest. Oh? Okay, and this thing which is demon possessed will come to him and he will take the cross and put like this. And he should say, ah, and run away. You know, it's, that is how we have sentimentalized the cross and I'm telling you honestly, many non-believers think that way. And you know what happened? Even in the church, something that happened to the children of Israel happened to the church also. You know what they did to the bronze serpent? You know what they did to the bronze serpent? This is what they did to the bronze serpent. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 18. And this is from verse 3 onwards. And he, this is Hezekiah, and he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father, all that his father David had done. He removed the high places, broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke the pieces of, of the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days Israel burned incense to it and called it what? Nehustan. What does it mean? What does Nehustan mean? It is a thing of brass. It has got power. It has got supernatural magical powers. That's what they thought. Cross does not have supernatural magical powers. Neither does your book have any supernatural. The Bible does not have, in in of itself, does not have any supernatural uh, powers. So if you keep it under your pillow or you keep the cross next next to your pillow, it will not ward off evil. No. That's what many people think. That is what they they bring down the cross to and it is possible with every one of us. Some kind of a fetish. See? That's what they thought, no? They thought the Ark of the Covenant, if they bring the Ark of the Covenant, right? They bring the Ark of the Covenant, they will win the battle. And everybody who brought the Ark of the Covenant, Hophni and Phineas, they bring the Ark of the Covenant and then everybody in the army of the Israelites is all excited and they make a huge sound and the earth is trembling. The powers of darkness know. You know what they said? What has happened? And the Philistines say, let us fight even more harder. And what happens? They defeat them. Not only defeat them, they steal the ark and take it to their temple. Not only do that, they kill Hophni and Phineas. And let me tell you what happens when Phineas's wife is, she is at labor and now she is going to deliver a boy. You know what she says? Ikhabod. 
What does it mean? The glory of God has departed. Kabod means glory. Ikabod means the glory of God has departed from Israel. And it does not matter if the glory of God has departed. You can use it and it will only be a fetish. Nothing more than that. Because a cross has lost its power. Not because in and of itself cross is wrong. No, 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 no. Your heart has, does not, has not appropriated the cross in your life. You see? So, therefore, we need to understand. You see, the enemy knows it very well. You know, one of the most difficult sermons to preach is a sermon on the cross. To reiterate it over and over. Honestly speaking, no, honestly speaking, how many of you heard big preachers, small preachers, speaking about the cross in every of their sermons? You know, when pastor was talking about, you know, a few, few, a few weeks back, he was talking about deliverance. One of the things he was mentioning, coming back to the message of the cross. And you know what I did? I said, I just put everything aside. I started taking all notes from different men of God and started to understand for myself what cross means. And you know, honestly, for such a long time, I have neglected the cross and I'm looking at it and saying, Lord, where did I miss this? see? Enemy hates the cross. That's what, that what it says in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And he says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish that having begun in the spirit, now you are being made perfect in the flesh? For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Let me tell you, this part, so many of it I learned from men of God, Derek Prince, Martin Lloyd-Jones, other cats. This is something which I learned. So look, pay careful attention. Okay, Every slide I'm going to show you now, I want to ask you... Pray, pray to the Lord that you will have undivided attention because this is so important. If you miss this, this particular slide particularly, will miss the message. So careful attention. So I'll, just, I'll put a graphic So because most of you uh, have swallowed the lie. A picture is worth a thousand. And in the beginning was a picture? No, no. In the beginning was a word. A word is worth a thousand pictures, not a picture of word. But nevertheless, I will still give you a picture, a slide to show you what this means, what is happening over here, what has happened to the Galatian church precisely. So concentrate. Give me your undivided attention, okay? Don't fall asleep. First, when we, how do we get saved? First thing, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, all the burdens of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. First thing that when we become born again, it says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So what happened? What did Jesus do? He didn't, Jesus didn't come to live. He came to die on the cross. And if you believe that he is the Messiah, then you are saved. So what happens? The very first time you encounter the cross of Jesus Christ and you are saved. 
have the salvation experience. Now, by the way, when we say salvation experience, salvation is just not the, from the penalty of sin. Salvation is to the uttermost. It is mind, body, soul, and spirit. Salvation has got various stages. It is just not from the penalty of sin. You experienced freedom from your guilt, but you still haven't experienced the work of cross inside of you. So what happens is that over a period of time, even as you walk with the Lord, there's something that is bound to happen to every believer is that there is an obscuring of the work of the cross in their lives. And how do I know that the work of the cross has become obscured in my life? And in Galatians, if you read the flow of the argument, two essential symptoms of losing focus of the work of the cross is mentioned. First is carnality. Okay. And the other dangerous thing, somebody put a prayer request. What is that? I said, what is that? Legalism. First is carnality. That is what he says. If you live according to the flesh, I mean, if you sow in the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow in the spirit, you will reap eternal life. That means what has happened to the, happened to the people who missed or the work of the cross has become blood in their lives. Either they become carnal or they become legalists. And the legalistic people are the most difficult to handle. You know that, right? You know what happens to the Pharisee and the tax collector when they, when he goes to the temple? You know, the Pharisee, it says, this is what he said to those who trust in their own righteousness, Jesus says. This Pharisee goes to the temple. You know how he starts his prayer? He doesn't say, Lord, I'm not. You know how he starts? No. I thank you, God. Oh! I thank you, God. That I am not like others. In other words, yes, Lord, with your help. That is a lot of people, no? I mean, even unbelievers will say that. Your movie was very successful. By the grace of God. I mean, you ask any actor who's got a hit, you interview, I, I watch a lot of interviews, no? By the grace of God, the people accepted my work. They also quote the grace of God. So even legalists will quote the grace, oh, thank you God that I do this, I do this, I'm not like this. You know what he's doing? He's actually even praying within himself. He's not even looking at the others. He's despising in his heart. <laughs> Lord, I'm so good. He looked at the tax collector. <laughs> I'm so good. That is what legalism is. So either you become a legalist what, or a, a guy who is carnal or you become legal. I know who is difficult to handle. Legals. Carnal people at least they will say oh yeah I sinned. Let will be like the, the tax collector. Lord I can't even look up. Have mercy on me, a sinner. But the legalistic people, they will always try to justify themselves. But the problem is, he says, if you are a legalist, you have a set of rules. And if you do not obey the set of rules, you are under a curse. Because cursed is a man who does not obey everything that the law has said. So what happens is, you end up with the curse of God over your life. See, You started with the work of cross in your life and the cross has become obscure. Two things have happened. Either you become carnal or you become a legalist and invite the curse of the Lord over your life because it says, cursed is everyone who does not 
continue on everything. In other words, if you broke the law in one area, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. I told you, right? You, you, uh, I was caught in the traffic in <laughs> on that highway and that guy was given a charge sheet. You know what the charge sheet says? The state of New York versus you. You have sinned against the whole state by just breaking one law. One law. See? And, that, 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 and what happens? Automatically, you're on a curse. No, no thing is, it's not very ostensible. You can't see it outside. You think everything is normal in your life. So, the point therefore is, how do I know that after having begun with a blessing that I have entered myself into a curse. How do I know it? I want to understand that. You see? What does Jesus say? Deuteronomy? Behold, I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, choose life. So now tell me in the new covenant, God sets before, before us, the same God has not changed. He sets before us life and death, blessing and curses. He also asks us to choose life. But how do we choose life? How do we choose life? You see, it's going to require attention from you. How do I choose life? God has, and I'll tell you something, God will never force himself upon us. He's a gentleman. So he's going to ask us to choose. Hmm. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 16 and see the answer to this question. Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 to 25. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow, follow me. For whoever, what? Desires to save his life. So how do you choose life in the new covenant? By choosing the way of the cross. And if you haven't chosen life through the way of the cross, what are you? You are either under the blessing or under a curse. Or you are choosing life. Or you are choosing death. And the way of the cross is the only way of blessing. And nothing else. So you will say, what is this? How do I know that I have gone away from the way of the cross? You want to know? How many of you want to know that I have gone away from the way of the cross? So let us do one thing. We'll just do, we'll just do Bible study. Okay? We'll just look at scripture. We'll look at our heart. Look at scripture. Look at the heart. Okay? So like so scripture is a mirror. Let's do that. Scripture, heart. Say that. Scripture, heart. Scripture, not my neighbor's heart, my heart. Say that. Scripture, not my neighbor's heart, my heart. Scripture, not my husband's heart, my heart. Say that. Oh, for those who are married. Scripture, not my wife's heart, my heart. Say that. Ah, scripture, not my parents' heart, my heart. Say that. Okay, now that I said that and I've I've awoken you, (laughs) let us see how do I know that I've departed from the way of the cross? How do I know? Because he's, let me tell you something, no? When you walk with the Lord, you don't see tangible results. They are very slow. And over a period of time, it will happen and you'll say, how did I end up over here? It is like, you know, in a mathematics problem, you have, let's say, a 
200 steps problem. Okay? And in step number 15, you made a 0.01 calculation error. Huh? You know it. Huh? Step number 15, you made 0.01 calculation error. By the time you come to step, step number 100, gone. The answer is, oh, away from the re- reality. And then you know what happens? When the professor is correcting your answers, he has no time to look at your steps. He will look at the answer. He will look at the king. Kacha, kacha. And then people will come. Sir, my steps are right. Sorry. Step number 15, 0.01 calculation error. And exactly, you see what happens? You need to understand these things happen very slowly. So if we want to rebuild our lives, what we have to do is to go back to the place where we have made the error and then do the correction. You know, that is the reason why almost spiritual life is like the way of a doctor. We do what we call as root cause analysis, RCA. What's going on over here? So how do we symptomatically treat the disease of moving away from the cross? How do we know? How can we know? How can we take steps to avert that and avoid that? The first thing that you will know, I'll show you the first verse. It's found in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Another translation, the New American Standard Bible. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God to a different gospel. You know what happens? One of the things you need to understand is that when you have moved away from the cross, you have not moved away from the cross per se, you have moved away from a person. You have deserted him. Deserted. Turning away. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Honestly, no? It's so important. Relationship with Jesus is a living relationship where you commune commune with him one on one. You read the word, he speaks to you. You pray, you get an answer or you don't get an answer. Something. There is a communion which is going on. You have a relationship with him. And what happens when you when you lose the focus of the cross? The first thing that happens to you, you fall away or you turn away from a person. From a person. Look at what it says. We fall away from a person. And you know what? Second, it happens very quickly. Very quickly. You know, climbing up a mountain. Oh, trekking. You should see. One step at a time, we have one brother in our church who goes for trekking every three or four months. And he climbs and he climbs and he climbs. But you know what? Coming down, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, pile of water and Jack fell down, broke his crown. Jim, Jim came tumbling down. It is so fast. Gravity works. Have you, have you seen that movie, Red Reading Hood? Oh. <laughs> The wolf falls away from, I mean, sorry, I think, uh, bunny, whatever, that girl, that girl falls away from that thing. She falls down, and the other guy says, yeah, gravity is working. And I'm telling you, gravity is working in so many people's lives. And they fall very quickly at 9.8 meters per second square. It's very fast. And you know something, this is so true about the carnal mind, right? Think about it. Let me ask you a question. If you borrow some money from somebody, 
is very easy to forget. How much do I owe you? Uh, I don't know. If somebody borrowed money from you, we are all Marwadis there. The spirit of the Marwadi comes. No, you should see those guys. They maintain notes to the to the decimal. There are only two decimal points. If there are more decimals, they will put that also. I remember, no, when I sometime back I had to return some money to my friend. I have forgot, so I called him in the middle of the night. Avnish. His name is Avnish Shingorani, okay, Sindhi. Okay, all the, for all the Sindhis in the room. <laughs> Avnish, how much do I owe you? $259.50. Precisely, in the sleep. That is how we are. We are very, very easy to forgive. I mean, forget the good people have done to us, but the bad people have done to us. Oh, we are so... I know what you did last time, that time, that time, that time, that time. You become historical and therefore historical. You see, we are so... We so easily forget the things that God has done for our life and how, you know, how, how it happens. 24 hours is enough. Psalm 106. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert and he gave them their request but sent leanness into his soul. You see, this is how we forget God and this is exactly what happens to so many of us. What we fall away from is we fall away from a person. We fall away from a person and it is so easy to happen. So drifting is gradual but falling is very fast. It's what we call as a threshold point. Hmm? critical mass <laughs> and after that there is no turning back don't ever think that we are immune to this If check if you love Jesus today in your heart do you love Jesus do you have this burning passion for him oh, so important you know, this is something which is subjective for every one of us we, we can't ask somebody else to judge us no no we have to judge ourselves that's what I said we look at the word we look at our heart. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, no? Verses 5 to 6. The Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. You see, you have fallen away from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. You see, a graphic description of a guy who is under a curse. That is the reason why Jesus said, Abide in me and let your words abide in me. And if you abide in me, you will bear what fruit? Otherwise, you'll be barren. You're under a curse. And what? Look at this graphic description. For he shall be like a shrub in a desert. He shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Let me tell you something. If you lose fellowship with God, you will also lose fellowship with others people. You know what happens? You will be at a place where nobody is inhabited. Check your heart. Check your fellowship with God. Check how much you love to be with God's people. Ask yourself today, do you long for fellowship? You long to be with your brothers. You would rather be with the with God's people rather than spending time with your own friends. Ask yourself this question. See, that is how I know. Second, I've drifted from the cross. Look at the second. Galatians chapter one verses three to four. Grace to you, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age 
according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So the second thing the cross does, you know what it does? It delivers us from this present evil age. Age. It's not world. This is just not evil world. It is evil. Bad times. It's time. It's a, it's a time connotation over there. So what does he do? What does Jesus do from the cross? He breaks us away from the trappings of time and he places us in eternity. So many people trapped in time. Okay. They're trapped in time. They're trapped in this life. They want the best life now. And we'll get a bestseller all, all sort of it. New York bestseller. Best life now. I'm going to show you a verse. When I showed it to my believing friends in university sometime back, they were stunned that it was there in the Bible. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If the, in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know, this word most miserable occurs only two times in the entire new covenant. No, where else it occurs? You want to know? Any guesses? Okay, I'll show you this verse. Very interesting. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 onwards. And to the angel of the church of laudations write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are what? Wretched, miserable, poor, (coughs) blind and naked. Now let me tell you something. This is the absolute symptom of guys who have one leg in the world and one leg in the kingdom of God. And they are the most miserable. They cannot enjoy the world. No? It's like Lot in the midst of ungodly company. It says, his righteous soul was vexed. He was not even enjoying the world and neither does he want to come to place where Abraham is. So he's neither enjoying the world nor enjoying the word. His hands and his feet are both places. Have you seen your own life? Do you enjoy the word? You know, the, as, a, as Pastor said, right? If you want to really know whether you enjoy the word, listen to Derek Prince. Listen to Derek Prince. At least Art Cats is a little charismatic. Yeah, he will startle you with his language. But Derek Prince, he is like one dry monotone. No animation, never he raises his voice, never. One step, second step, three step, four step, repeat. One step, second step, third step, fourth step. And you know what? I'm telling you, I'll challenge you, many of you will fall asleep. Many of you. Because you need gymnastics and drama and ecstasy and agony and everything you need. 
And somebody is going to preach you the word, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. How much I should exercise my mind and my brain? Think about it. Now you go to your company and you write complex algorithms. Huh? And you go to your university complex uh, uh, nonlinear differential equations. You solve all those equations and try at least. Huh? And then you come to church. I want to keep my mind. Just give me something which where I don't have to think much. Please, 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 please. You see? You know, first thing that hap- has happened in the Reformation or what happened, people began to think. I'll tell you honestly, this is how people's lives are changed. The other day, I was in my school and we had a very interesting uh, character trait for the week. Every week we have one character trait. We have to meditate upon that. The character trait is long-suffering. What is it? Long-suffering. It is from the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 18, which says, The Lord is long-suffering, okay, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, not equitting the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, to the fourth and the third, third and the fourth generation. So I was telling the children, I said, this is a very interesting verse. Start thinking. They were all looking at the, what is long suffering means? But means Jesus is very patient. Okay. Jesus, Jesus is long suffering, right? If he is long suffering, is he merciful? Yes, he is absolutely merciful. Second, if he is long suffering, will he forgive iniquity? Yes, he should forgive iniquity. Third, if he is long suffering, he does not acquit the guilty. First they stopped. They asked, what does it mean guilty? You know, for, they are all third, second graders, third graders, first graders, no? What is guilty? Guilty means, what is God, no, God not equating? If you make any mistake, he will punish you. That is not what equating the guilty means. Immediately, one of them said, that means he is not long suffering. Did you see that? Have you ever read that verse like that? And then again I said, he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Meaning, I told those people, if I sin, my children will suffer. Their children's children will suffer. Their children's children will suffer. Then they said, how can he be long-suffering? Did you see that? You know what has happened? They began to think. You know something I see in children, they are so open to thinking. I don't find that in adults at all. How many of you stopped at that verse? Numbers chapter 14, 18. This is a contradiction. The Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity. Then it says, all of a sudden, it will punish the guilty. It will punish the iniquity. Then they said, immediately one of them said, that means he's not long-suffering. Then I said something. Think about how can God do this then? On the cross. Where he does not acquit the guilty by putting our guilt onto Jesus. And he punishes him for our iniquity. And is he still long suffering? Yes, he is still long suffering. You know, we need to begin to think, my dear brothers and sisters. We are trapped in time. You see, our minds are only about this age. (laughs) In this life only. 
And therefore, so many believers, because they are not able to think, it is a liberation of the mind. They are trapped in their mind and therefore they are miserable. They are not able to enjoy the world. They are not able to enjoy the world. And they have their legs on both feet, both boats. What's going to happen? They are miserable. You know why? Because they forgot the cross. And that's exactly what he says. The next verse, look at what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire. What is gold? What is gold? What you need, you need to ask yourself, what is gold? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight than silver? How many of us put premium on wisdom? Wisdom or world? Wisdom, gold. And you'll say, what wisdom? What kind of wisdom? What kind of wisdom? The next verse will say, I will, I'll show you Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. This is what it says. And that from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. It means wisdom is true only when it leads you to salvation. Otherwise, it's not wisdom at all. Okay. Which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Think about it. Making gold, attaining wisdom. What is your choice? Can I make the gold? I saw a last dialogue in a movie, okay? Because a lot of you are movie goers. Last dialogue in a movie. This is a guy who's applied for a political party. He's a, he wants to get into politics and he's applied to different political parties. And the last dialogue is, he's going away with his girlfriend and he says, you know what? I got an offer from two political parties. And uh, and he says, cycle to jatakam Should I bike? I mean, should I take the cycle, or I should I be a fortune teller? Cycle stands for anybody? TDP. Jatakam stands for Congress. Okay. What should I do? Should I bike the cycle, or should I be a fortune teller? You know what the girl says? Cycle to kunteveli jatakam chudu. In other words, keep cycling and then also do become a fortune teller. It's not possible. Either you're a congressman or a BJP. You can't be both. You can't be both. You see, you can either seek for wisdom which makes you, which makes you wise unto salvation or you want to search for gold. You know, what does Solomon ask? Amazing, right? I wish he had that heart. He said, Lord, I am a child. I don't know anything. These are your people. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. So I ask the children again, no? If God were to ask you in a dream, okay? All the children, no? They would say, if today God were to appear to you in a dream and if you were to ask you a question, ask you for this, ask anything, Abigail. I'll give it to you. What would you ask? All the children. They're all trapped in time. I want to get good marks in my exam. Okay, that is the senior most. I want to be good in mathematics. Another one, I also want to get good marks in my exam. Come to the little one, I want to get chocolates. I want to get biscuits. And I'll tell you something. I was looking at that, I said, oh, they're all small children, it's okay. But many believers are like that. What do you want? What do you want? If God were to ask you, what do you want? 
This night he will come to you in a dream and he will ask you, what do you want? What would you ask? Would you want riches and honor or wisdom? But wisdom is the way of the cross, you see. Look at what it says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us what? Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see that? The wisdom of the, of God is the wisdom of the cross. No other way to get wisdom other than the wisdom of the cross. See that? So many of us trapped in time because all we can see is this life. Therefore he says, buy from me gold, refined in fire, white garments that you may be clothed, Anoint your eyes with salve. As many as I love, I rebuke. And what has happened to this church? Therefore, be zealous and repent. They have lost their zeal. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. Where is Jesus? He's outside. Unbelievable. That you have a church where Jesus is not there. And everything is going well. Why? Because they lost sight of the cross. And they've been trapped in time. Next, Luke's Gospel chapter 20. Then some of the Sadducees, no, who deny the resurrection, they came to Jesus. Teacher, they said about this man and a woman, and gave them a parable. One wife, seven men. In the resurrection, whose wife? Jesus gives a very interesting answer. The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection, you know what they do? They neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. You know, Derek Prince gave a very interesting example. It could be relevant to some of us. There was this you know, girl in his congregation where he was pastoring. Very nice godly girl. Very nice godly girl, zealous for the Lord. And one day she goes to office and there's this guy in the office who takes interest in her and you know, he's quoting her and he's being very nice to her. She come, He comes to church. He doesn't come to church because of God. He comes to church for her. Very nice, thorough gentleman. Okay. So he comes to church and she goes to the pastor and says, what should I do? Should I marry him? You look at that person and if you're trapped in time, you know the pastor said, you have two options over here. Deny this relationship. What will happen? You will experience pain. But let me let me be, let me let me promise you in six or seven months' time you will get over this. Second option: marry this person. For 15 years, your marriage will be okay and you will have children. But one day your man your man will walk out of your life and he will just leave your children with you. And you will have pain for the rest of your life. What are the options that you have? Two. What will you choose? What will happen to you when you are trapped in time? You know, so many people, they want to come to church because they want to get a partner. Hmm? After Shrika's wedding was over, people were after me and pastor. Oh, And some pastors from our pastor's conference also. They will send me SMS. Brother, please pray for marriage partner. One, one lady, she's after us. Find, find a guy, find a guy, find a guy. We'll come to your church. Why do you want to come to our church? Because you want to find a partner. Why? You're trapped in this age. 
You know, Francis Chan made a fantastic statement. He said, if you are desperate for marriage, then you're not ready for marriage. And if you are desperate not to be married, then you're ready for marriage. You're ready. Think. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and to the sons of God, being the sons of resurrection. They're not trapped in time. They're not trapped in time. They know their purpose. They have their priorities fixed. Think about it, no? The, you, you see, one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again, if you look at the entire movie industry, you know, the maximum number of movies which have hits are love stories. Do you know that? And most of the love stories end with happily ever after after the marriage. It's over. No, let me t- ask you something. Okay, it's a parable in some sense. It's honestly, right? What they're expecting is this. This guy finds the girl that he loved the most and that girl finds the man of her life and there. When they get married, it's going to be awesome. You know what? It's a parable to all of us. For all of us. One day, we are going to get married to our heavenly husband and it is exactly what is going to happen. It is going to come true. It is going to be happily ever after. But until we have that heavenly spouse, every other marriage is going to be frustrated. That is the reason why you need to read the book by John Piper. He wrote a book called This Light and Momentary Marriage. It's a parable. It's a parable. See, if you think that you're going to find your satisfaction in your husband or in your wife, you know what's going to happen? That guy is going to disappoint you. And that woman is going to disappoint you. I want to find a guy who will love me. Let me tell you something. Find a guy who will love God. I remember uh, our pastor's nephew, when he came, he was praying during the pastor's, uh, during the fasting prayer and he made a very powerful prayer. It was a very powerful. You know what he said? It stuck to my mind. He said, Lord, as young men and young women, enable us to find partners who will partner with us in our ministry. Let, let us not find partners who will be a burden to carry. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear, my dear brothers and sisters. Not a burden to carry, but there will be partners in ministry who will be on fire for God. I was listening to John Piper the other day. He said, six things I would do if I were 22 again. It's a very interesting message. Six things I would do when I was 22 again. You know what the first thing he said? I will marry a girl who is absolutely on fire for God. That means I'll marry my wife, Noel. That's what he said. Because I know her. Right from the time when I had a call of God in my life, I told her, you know what? If I go for a mission, if I become a missionary in Africa, will you come with me? You know what she did? She started packing the bags first. You need to find a wife. You need to find a partner like that. Who's on fire for God? Who will love God? Otherwise, you're trapped in time. You're trapped in this age. You think that you can get satisfaction in this age. Boy, it's, 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 you're heading towards a disaster. Your marriage is going to head towards a disaster. You know why? Because both of you are looking for completion in the other person and that fellow has got no resources to satisfy you. 
Only God can. Only God can. Okay? Okay? I'll tell you something. Only when you become a believer will you have genuine love for those who are of your flesh. Let me ask you this question, no? There's a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 9. It says, Paul says, I'm not lying. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, my conscience bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish of heart that I wish that I myself will be accursed from cut and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen. Does he stop there? Can you end that? For my brethren, from my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He doesn't stop. He doesn't say, they are my brothers. No, 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 no. They are my brothers according to the flesh. Because now, I have a different family altogether. My family is not this family. Even though they are my brothers and my sisters, they, they are not, blood relation is not going to define. And you know what he's saying? He's able to have genuine love for them because he has become genuinely associated with Christ. That's exactly what happened to Jesus, right? Your mother and your brothers are outside. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? These are the people who listen to my word and do the will of my father. They are my mother. They are my brother. And they are my sister. How many of you sisters over here want to become the mothers of Jesus? You know, you have the capacity and the locus standing to become the mothers of Jesus. Can you imagine that you can be called the mother of Jesus? Otherwise, you'll never have genuine love for your loved ones. Unless you have a genuine love for your people in the kingdom. Okay. That's the first thing. Second, I want to talk about Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 onwards. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this age. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Let me ask you this question. Is the desire for the word of God only increasing in your life or is it reducing? You know, pastor was telling, right? He was, he asked those people whom to, uh, where he went for the mission trip. You know what he asked them? He asked them, tell me, do I have more zeal today than I had the last year? You know what they said? Yes, you have more zeal today. Think about it, no? Do you love God's word today? More than you loved him yesterday? Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible with desperation? Do you have specific times in your where you dwell on the word and study the scriptures? Study. Or the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. See, comforts are so dangerous, my dear brothers and sisters. Remember that Jesus tells about John the Baptist, those who are Nicely eating and who are dressed in good apparel. They are in where? Where? They are in king's tables. Where did you, what did you see in the wilderness? You see a man clothed in camel's hair and a belt around his waist. Why? Because he was fasting often and he was eating kosher food, locusts and wild honey. Locust is by the way, kosher. I don't know why God made locusts kosher. Have you seen locusts? Locusts means grasshoppers, almost. When you see grasshoppers, you will say, ah, I want to eat eat it. No, you'll not say that, right? But I believe the entire law where locust was made kosher was for John the Baptist because he's going to eat that. 
You will never find in the entire scriptures people eating locusts. You will find only John the Baptist eating locusts. And God made provision for John the Baptist so that, and he said, you know what? Locusts is kosher. Interesting. Cares of this age and the comforts. What will happen? The appetite for God's word will keep decreasing over and over and over and over again. Because you have forgotten the message of the cross and you have been trapped in this age. God has delivered you from this age. Finally. Finally. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Let me tell you something. If you have been delivered from this age, you will have a heart for missions. That's what I told you. We have only two options. Either you are, you send people into the mission field or you go into the mission field. The third option, you are disobedient. You know that? Do you have a heart for missions? Do you have a heart? I'll tell you something, no? When you go into the mission field, my dear brothers and sisters, it is not romantic at all. It is not. You know, you are, I, I remember Pastor talking to us, you know, sometime back. I'm not sure if you guys were there. I mean, this was incredible. I mean, this, I could never just forget this. You know, was, he was going to a place in North India and he was on a bus. And it was hot, humid, and he was in a bus which was packed to the co- to the to the to the to capacity, and he was hanging in the uh, in the in the in the bus like that. He was sweating and sweating, going to some place where he has to preach, and he was asking, "Lord, what is this, Lord? Is this all worth it?" You know, at that moment, he told me something. He said, "You know, Vijay, when I said that, you know what? I closed my eyes for a moment, and God gave me a vision of the cross." He showed me, showed me Jesus hung on the cross and he said, the place where you're going, are they worthy of me? And after that he said, you know what, Vijay, no complaints, no complaints, Vijay, no complaints. You know, he was telling the other day to another church, he said, I don't want to go to places where it is comfortable. I want to go to places where it is difficult. I don't want to go to places where there is an airport where people will come and pick me up from the airport and I'll be put up in a five-star accommodation. No, no, no. I want to go to places where I should walk. And he's reaching the most unreached people group in our land extended territories as well. Think about it. Are you mission conscious? Is your heart for missions? Are you, is there a heart for missions? You know, one of the outreaches we do in our, in our, in our, in our church, as a church, you know, what is one of the outreaches we do in our church? Anybody can say that. What conference? Pastors conference. That is one of the outreaches we do in our church every second Saturday without fail except one second Saturday of the year. That is on May because it is hot. According to statistics, we have reached 700 pastors in this state and the extended state. 700 pastors. Can you imagine 700 pastors into 30 people per congregation? How many people we have reached? Do you have a heart for missions? Do you have a heart for people? Do you constantly keep asking, Lord, let me come into contact with people who have a heart for you, who love the truth, who want to grow in the Lord? Do you have a heart for that? 
Do you go to your workplace like that? Do you are you going into the mission field when you go to your workplace? Are you sent? Do you have a heart for souls? Do you have a heart for your own family? For your flesh and blood? Who are going to die and go to hell? Where the God of this age has captured their minds and they made him captive that they can't think beyond time. They can't think beyond time. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 to 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Do you believe that this is the highest calling? Think about it, no? If God were to give you two careers, (laughs) choice, ministry, for me, professor, those days, anytime professor. It says, right, Egyptians, they despise the shepherds. Pastoral ministry is despised by the world. Because they don't see the higher, what a high calling it is. Do you have a heart for missions? Honestly, no. If you do not have a heart for souls, you need to check your heart whether you are really saved, whether you have been apprehended by the message of the cross or not. You have a heart for your own people. Do you weep for them? How many of you really, you know, then they send your prayer request. How many of you weep and intercede for your people? Ask, ask Lord, when was the last time you fell on your face before God and you said, Lord, unless you give me an answer, I will not come out of this closet and interceded for them. You have a heart for missions. It's one thing to put a prayer request. You know, when I, I, I am very careful putting prayer requests into the prayer request bag. I never, in fact, I, I can honestly tell you, I can count on the, on the fingers of my, of my, of my both hands how many times I put a prayer request because I want to say, Lord, when I'm putting a prayer request, better be something which is according to your will. Not for my own self. Heart formations. You have a heart for missions? Heart for people who are lost? Do you see that the God of this age has blinded their eyes? They can't see the light of the glory of the gospel? Or you yourself, if that is the case, then you yourself have been a prisoner of the God of this age. You know why? If you are a prisoner of time, your God, your Lord is, and your God is not Jesus, your God is Satan. Because he is the God of this age. And he's blinded the minds of people. How many of us can watch movie after movie after movie and when it comes to prayer, oh boy, it is such a dreadful exercise. Intercession. Boy, ask yourself this question. You have a heart for missions? Otherwise you have not apprehended the cross, my dear brothers and sisters. You know what Paul says? Look at what Paul says. I am a debtor. Boy, he says, I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians. 
to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome also. Then you will ask this question. You will ask this question, my dear brothers and sisters. You will have this question, not natural question. I know most of you are in careers and in academics and, and you have careers, no? You, and you and you're saying, how? Where do I draw the line? How do I go to my workplace with this mindset? How do I go? Now, some some of you got a job recently. How do I go to this work with the mindset of the cross? How do I go? I mean, you know, a lot of people get offended and say, "Oh, you mean to say that you should not concentrate on your?" No, no, no that's not what I'm talking about. If you've been called to be a scientist, boy, you be a scientist like James Tour. If you're called to be a doctor, be a doctor like a Nobel laureate. How many of you heard the name who discovered the vaccine for the malaria parasite? Don't have to name it. This guy was a believer. Nobel laureate in medicine, 1902. Okay? Believer. Look at what he says. He's a, po- he's a poet also. And this is the poem that he wrote. And I got this from one of James Stewart's talks. And I'm just sharing this with you. When I read this, I was, I was so convicted. Look at what he says. This is his poem, okay? This is Ronald Ross. This day relenting God. This is after he discovered the parasite. Uh, the vaccine for the malaria parasite. This day relenting God hath placed within my hands a wondrous thing and God be praised at his command. Seeking his secret deeds with tears and toiling, I find thy cunning seeds of million murdering deaths. Those days people used to die of malaria and yellow fever left, right and center. And you know what he's saying? With At his command, with tears and toiling, I found out the secret of this fellow. Million murdering deaths. And what he says, final, look at this final. This is a killer. This is a killer. Okay. I know this little thing. A myriad men will save. Oh, death, where is thy sting? The mosquito. Thy victory, okay. No, tell me, I'll tell you something. I was, I was, I came across this journal of medical science. The African Journal of Medical Science. It was quoted by by uh, uh, Derek Prince in one of his sermons. He was talking about a, this journal. This is a secular journal. It talks about a parallel kingdom to man, to the kingdom of man. And what it is called? It's called the kingdom of the flies, the kingdom of the insects. Now tell me, who is the lord of the insects? Beelzebub. He says, there is a parallel kingdom called the kingdom of the insects. And I was so shocked the, uh, just yesterday, uh, I think in the US, there is a bug which is, which is spreading parasites in the United States and be- spreading dengue and malaria and yellow fear, what have you, stinging. You know what the, what the science, what that journal says? It says that the kingdom of, of man is always one step ahead of this kingdom of insects. And whenever the kingdom of insects went one, went one step ahead of the kingdom of man, death took place. 
That is when we had malaria, filaria, and 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 elephant tassels, etc. And uh, we had yellow fever, and now dengue, and what have you. Because it was a sting. It was a demonic disease. You know what Dr. Ross is saying? He's saying, you know what? Even in my research, I'm fighting the powers of darkness. That is Dr. Ronald Ross, Nobel Prize in Medicine, 1902. We have a doctor here. Doctors here, one going to be a doctor. Several researchers, several programmers, several people aspiring to become IITians and what have you. Did you ever ask God for this grace? Lord, when I do my research, let me fight the powers of darkness. Let me take the cross in my mind when I go and work in my lab and in my organization as a programmer. Whatever I do, Lord, let me become a man who fights the powers of darkness through my mind. Do you go with that? I was stunned when I looked at this, no? <laughs> I was listening to this sermon by James Stewart. I was so convicted. I said, my God, I spent seven, eight years in the lab. No, ten years in the lab. Ten years in the I never went with this mindset that I will do research to fight the powers of darkness. All of you guys who are studying, doing math, did you ever ask God, Lord, give me the grace to study so that one day whatever skills that I gain will help me to fight the powers of darkness? That you will have. You know, these are the scientists who are, who are captivated by God. That is the reason why Le- Leopold Kronecker, Kronecker Delta Function, etc., who came up with this guy who started numerical mathematics, numerical analysis. You know what he said? Powerful statement, God made integers, all else is a work of man. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> God made integers, all else is a work of man. Do you have this mindset when you go to the hospitals? You're saying, Lord, the seas is something which is not normal. And I was talking to, I, this all fell into place when I was talking to pastor the other day. He said, you know, Vijay, every disease has a demonic origin. Because death is in the hands of Satan. It's a spirit. I'm not saying that you should not get, you'll get cancer. I mean, every sickness because even Elijah felt sick. I'm not talking about that where God has allowed sickness. And if it is not in the will of God that you should be sick, you should fight it. Left, right and center. Say, Lord, I'm not going to give in to this. The danger... If you're not, if you don't come out of this age by appropriating the work of the cross in your life, you know what is going to happen to you? The danger? Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 4 onwards. For it is impossible. Everybody say that. It is. I didn't say that. The writer of Hebrews, who nobody knows. God in his wisdom. Otherwise you'll say Paul is a heretic. God was very wise. He said, I will not let anybody know who is the author. That fellow will be known only there. So if you have a problem, if you reach onto the other side, you can fight with him. Okay? Not with me. I'm just reading scripture. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good of the good word of the Lord and the powers of the age to come if 
they fall away to be renewed back to repentance is impossible. Why? Because they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to public shame. You know what? They have forgotten the work of Jesus on the cross. They have forgotten it. They have forgotten. And don't ever think it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to come to me. It will happen to you if you don't take heed. Why? Look at this. As I said, right? You work, you forget the work of the cross, right? You forget the work of the cross, you either become carnal or you become, and ultimately it leads you to a curse. Look at this analysis of Hebrews chapter 6. It's fantastic. Look at the analysis. This is verse 7. For the earth, which drinks in the rain, which often comes upon it, in other words, you come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and the word of the rain, of the word of God is falling on your lives. And what is it bearing? If it bears thorns and briars, what is thorns a symbol of? Curse. You know what is happening? Even the word is falling on a set of carnal, legalistic people and it will only bring thorns because they have forgotten the work of the cross. And they have been trapped in this age. Don't ever think it's not going to happen to you. But we, beloved, we are confident of better things for you. Things that accompany salvation. You know, there are, there are, there are, there are examples in the New Testament. Examples of a guy who was a close co-worker of Paul. I mean, think about it. Now, if you work with Apostle Paul, what are the chances that you will end up on the other side of, of eternity? 100%, I will say. But there was one guy. Look at this the analysis. Look at how, how the how the wording is done. This is Second Timothy chapter four, verses nine to eleven. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. The word is age. Having loved this present world, he has deserted me. He has fallen away. No, I I, I told no one <laughs> some time back. I was discussing with one of my relatives, and I said, you know, Demas fell away. He was very disturbed. It does not mean that he went to hell. I said, how can you come to a conclusion like that? How can you come to a conclusion like that? Oh, no, no. It only means that he must, he must have lost his rewards. Really? Really? How people conveniently read scripture because they get offended by the cross. Don't ever forget the saints. That God, when he saved you, you know what he did? He broke the power of this age, at least positionally. Know this truth. You came out of the position, the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. This is exactly what Colossians chapter 1 will say. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 onwards. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of his, of, of his, of the son, of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Question number one. First question, have you fallen away from a person? Have you fallen away by becoming trapped in time? Ask yourself these questions. Are you a prisoner of time? Or are you a prisoner of God? An ambassador for his word. Second thing, briefly. Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. For I through the law 
die to the law that I might live to God. What does the cross do? It kills you to the law. The law has no more effect in your life. What is the maximum sentence that God, that the law can give you? Tell me. Maximum sentence. 25 life imprisonments or death by hanging. Capital punishment. After that, can it do anything to you? No. You know what God did? He gave you the capital punishment already. I'm not saying it. This is found in Romans chapter 7 verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, for those of you who are a part of the uh, of the Wednesday baptism service, you will remember this. Else it's on the GTC WhatsApp grouping and download that and listen to the sermon. Listen to that exhortation, brief exhortation by Pastor James. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be, what? Married to another. To him who has raised you from the dead that you should bear fruit to God. What has happened now? You are no longer under the law where the law is a terrible husband. He will not have fellowship with you. The day you break the law, he will say you should die. But what does Jesus do? He marries you. And through that relationship, he transforms you slowly so that you may bear what? Fruit to whom? Fruit to God. What does it tell me? It tells me the one thing the cross does to me, instead of making a set of rules, it makes me into a guy who loves the Lord and therefore obeys his command. I become a wife. Proverbs chapter 31. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. What happens? He says, you know what? You're my wife now. You had a terrible husband. No, he was a good husband. You were a terrible wife, actually. Law is good. Law is holy. You were a terrible wife. So what I'm going to do is, I can't kill the law. I'll kill you. But how will I kill you? I will die. And you will be inside of me. When I raise, when I, uh, when I rose from the dead, you are married to me. Now what I'm going to do is, I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness and slowly transform you from inside with my love. Slowly, slowly. Slowly, one day at a time, slowly. So what does he come and say? Gideon, mighty man of valor. Where is Gideon? In the threshing floor, on the wine press, threshing wheat. Suddenly the angel of the Lord says, mighty man of valor. And he's looking, where? Anybody here? No, you. Mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. Remember that story of Thomas Beckett? How many of you told you that story of Thomas Beckett? Thomas Beckett. Thomas Beckett was the Archbishop of uh, of of England some time back. Before he became the Archbishop, he was a friend of the King. Okay, he was a clergy, but he also was a friend of the friend of the King. And both were partners in crime. They indulged in all kinds of nonsense. You name the sin, and they enjoyed in it. And one day, the Archbishop of England dies. Immediately the king has a fantastic idea. He says, you know what? This fellow, this archbishop was always against me. He used to eat my head and he used to make my life miserable. What I will do is, I will appoint my friend as the archbishop. Okay? 
And once he becomes the archbishop, I have the king of the state. I have also the church. Nene king inka. I am the raja. So what he does? What does he do? Archbishop dies. He calls his friend. He says, Beckett, you are the archbishop now. Beckett looks at him and says, What? Me? Archbishop? And from that day onwards, he goes back to his quarters and he starts thinking. And everybody in the church, especially the priests, they know what kind of a guy this is. And they all dislike him because they know that this guy is the king's puppet. But you know what happens? The moment he begins, becomes the archbishop, the chair itself becomes, begins to transform him. Slowly, he becomes righteous and he becomes actually a headache to the king. And he's going crazy. Why? One of his days, this guy who becomes the archbishop goes into the chamber and he tells God, Lord, you know what kind of a man I am. And you gave me the position of the archbishop. Lord, make me worthy of the office. You know what God does? He doesn't give you something because you are qualified. He didn't choose you because you are qualified. He chooses you first and then qualifies you to the office. He calls you what you are first and makes you into that person. And from that day onwards, this man becomes a pain in his neck, literally. And this guy is so frustrated that he can't say anything because he knows that this fellow is his friend now. Every policy this fellow makes, that fellow opposes it. And one day he gets drunk with wine and in his drunken stupor he says, who's going to get rid of this man for me, this menace? And three of his bodyguards listen to that and they go with their knives and they go and they kill that man. And what happens? This guy, once he was chosen for that office, the office begins to change him from inside out. You know what God does? He does the same thing to all of us. He says, Abraham, you are Abraham. Lord, I am barren. Sarah, you're not Sarai, you're Sarah. I am barren. What I'm going to do is something. I'm going to supernaturally change you from deep down inside so that you may bear fruit. And that will be a supernatural work because I died on the cross for you. That is what happened. Then finally, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what which were held, that to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Meaning what? We don't become just normal slaves, we become sons. This is exactly what Galatians chapter 4 will say. Chapter 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. You know what happens? Now we don't only just look at the letter of the law, we become the people who have the spirit of the law. Meaning what? We become the people of the extra mile. We don't do just do the bare minimum. Right? If you have a company and your father is your is your chairman, how will you work in that company? Will you look at the clock? Time ho gaya. 9 to 6. Somebody sent me a WhatsApp the other day. 
9 to 6 only I will work. I have a life of my own. I want to go and enjoy. Now what the son will say? Employee, you want to go, you go. This is my father's business. This is my father's business. And I'm a son, I'm not a slave. I become conscious about the work that God has entrusted into my hands. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at that. Luke's gospel chapter 2. Now so that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. You know what Jesus did first? He listened. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, sentimental, you know, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I should be about my father's business? Are you about your father's business? Or do you think that this is such a headache? I mean, think about it, no? How we work in our own setup as a church. Now, I see that, no? I see some of the brothers who come regularly. You don't have to tell them anything. God knows them. Regularly. They don't work as slaves. They work because they are sons. Regularly. They are there on call 24 by 7. You know, sometimes I feel, what I, what the, will the church do without these brothers? Have you seen them? Pastors conference? They are there. Any meeting? They are there. Do you think they are serving as slaves or as sons? Slaves will look at, that is not my responsibility. Not, my job, my job profile is not that is not my job description. That is a slave mentality. Son will own because he is a man of the extra mile. And by logic, you can't go the extra mile unless you have gone the first mile. Look at this. John's Gospel chapter 4. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and what? I am a son and I'm not going to die until I finish my work. I'm going to go the extra mile. Doesn't matter how much I will finish it and then I will go. I'm going to end with this parable. It's an interesting story found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. Look at this. This is fantastic. Elisha had become sick with illness of which he would die. Okay? So Elisha died of sickness. Okay? So you can fall sick if it is the will of God. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father. Did he say, my lord, my lord? No. He said, what? My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, shoot! Put your hand on the bow. So he put, an, put, his, put, put his hand on the bow and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands and he said, open the east window. What does east stand, stand for? Signify the powers of darkness. Okay. And he opened it and Elisha said, shoot! And he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Afek till you have destroyed them. And what did he call him? My father, my father. Did he say, my father, my father. Look at what, he, what happens to him now. 
Then he said, take the arrows. He took him. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. First man, over. Bare minimum. That's exactly what people will come to my course and say, what is the minimum that I should do? Should get a pass mark. I tell them, the minimum that you should do is don't take my course. Because I don't want minimum people. Tuck, tuck, tuck. Enough. And the man of God was angry. And he said, you should have struck how many times? Five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will only be able to overcome them three, three, three times. That means you will not be able to finish your work. You will die without finishing your work. You can call me father, father, but you are a guy who is only interested in the first mile. You are a slave and not a son. How many of us have an attitude like this toward the work that God has given us? Everyone has been given a specific work for me, preaching and teaching. That is my primary calling. Primary calling for me, preaching and teaching. You know what I'm, what I'm asking the Lord? I'm like saying, Lord, I want to give myself and dedicate my life for the study of scripture. Labor day in and day out till I finish my work. Till you say that I'm, got, that you're done. Pack your bags and go home. Till that time I'll, till I, till, till that time I'll study and die. Exactly like, what's his name? Paul. You know what he said? Paul, to Timothy, when you come, please bring me the parchments and the books because I want to die studying those scriptures. Do you have that attitude? Till I finish my work, I will not leave this place. I am going to be the excellent worker because I'm no longer a slave. I'm not going to say, I'm going to put specific hours for study for this. uh, this, uh, No. My whole life is consumed with this passion. I will take every opportunity to finish the work that God has called me for. Think about it now. If you have a set of people in the church, young people in the church, with this kind of a mindset, they will say, you know what? Whatever the Lord has given me, I will do it. You know what? Hashtag go for glory. Hashtag go for glory is the handle, the Twitter handle of uh, the Indian Asia Games team. And they're messing it up big time. They lost in Kabaddi. Chi. To Iran. Chi chi. Unbelievable. Hashtag go for glory. Do you go for glory? You know why? The glory is for the sons who overcome and sit at the right hand of the father. They deserve the glory. Are you a son? Are you a slave? You know what Jesus did on the cross? He didn't make you a slave, my dear brothers and sisters. He made you a son. And he said, you know what? Strike it till you finish the work that God has called you for. And if you don't have this kind of a determination, that means what? The cross has become obscure in your life. Three times. Three times. Unbelievable. That is what we call bare minimum. It's amazing. If you read the historical narrative, you will weep. You will weep. This morning, even as we conclude, I just want us to think on what we said. Go back and listen to the sermon. Now, this is one of the sermons that I prepared 
over and over and over again because the first time I'm preaching at length on the cross, which I've never done in my life. Don't become sentimental about the cross. No. There's something which the cross has done for us and don't finish your life without appropriating its full benefits in this life. Because how you appropriate the cross in your life will determine your eternal destiny. Either you're a slave or you're a son. How do you want to enter into glory? And you know what this, what it says in John, John's Gospel chapter 8? The slave does not live in the house forever. Who dwells in the house forever? A son. In other words, if you have the attitude of a slave, I don't know if you'll end up on the other side. I don't know. I can't guarantee. If you're a son. And he says that to even girls. I mean, I asked the, some time back when I was teaching the Proverbs to the GSS children. Uh, the scripture says in Proverbs, my son, my son, my son, my son. It doesn't say my daughter. You know, it's deliberate. Because God does not have daughters anymore. He only has sons later in eternity. They will all be like the sons of God. So I asked them this question. How many of you would like to be sons? Everybody said, me. All the girls, without exception. Yeah, I said, I told I remember that? I, you know what I told them? You go onto the other side of eternity, all the privileges of sonship you will enjoy. More than the sons who didn't enjoy it. Yeah. How many of you want to, want to, want to become sons this morning? Just all, can we all stand in the house of God this morning? Ask the Lord to make us sons and not slaves. That is the reason why Jesus came. He died on the cross. Father, I want to finish the work that you have entrusted into my hands. I just don't want to loiter aimlessly. There's a specific work that you have given to me and I want to finish it before I end my life. Like the way Jesus was absolutely conscious about the work that was entrusted into his hands and he said, I will not die until I finish the works that God has given into my life. I will not die but live, but fulfill and declare the works of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray this morning. Father, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Father, in so many areas in our lives, O oh Lord, we have obscured the work of the cross. Father, we have a hazy picture about it. Some of us get offended because we do not know what a beauty it is. The wondrous cross. Father, this morning we just want to confess, O Lord, our negligence and our apathy, our lack of concern. O Lord, have mercy this morning. Cleanse us, O Lord. Wash us by the water of your word. Cleanse us from our sin. Purge us from our iniquity. Clean us, O Lord. Make us our priorities straight. Father, so many of us caught in time when you have delivered us from this time. It's translated us into eternity through the cross. Deliver us, I pray, from the trappings of time. That we can't see ahead. We become short-sighted. Because we have lost the message of the cross in our lives. It has become obscure. Father, forgive us, O Lord, for neglecting the work of cross in our lives.
We want to come back to the cross. Jesus, lead me to the cross. There a precious fountain. In the cross. In the cross. May my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find. Rest beyond the river. Finish your Lord your work. That you have started into our lives. Bring it to its logical conclusion. That we will end up. As sons. And not as slaves. Father. Thank you Father for this time. I plead the blood of Jesus over every one of our lives. Father, let your word burn in our hearts, O Lord, through the week. Let us continue to meditate upon that wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Our richest gain may be counted lost and pour contempt on all our pride. Forbid it, Lord, that we should boast, save in the death of Christ our Lord. All the vain things that charm us most Enable us to sacrifice it to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown? Where the whole realm of nature mine, where an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, let it become reality in our lives, O oh Lord. To that end, I pray that you would bless your children, O oh Lord. From the smallest to the eldest, O oh Lord. Whatever they could understand, you make it real in their lives. And let this word grow in their lives every day. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Father. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.